From the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, this is Politically Georgia. I'm Bill Nygut. Today, we start with a look at what the new AJC poll tells us about voters' opinions on key legislative issues, including school vouchers. Let me be very clear. Voucher programs will destroy public education. That's U.S. Education Secretary Michael Cardona, who in Atlanta yesterday came out against the measure. AJC education reporter Martha Dalton fills us in on Cardona's visit. I'm Tia Mitchell. Then we'll continue our conversation about the legislature and discuss the consequences of a new congressional map with State Rep. Carl Gilliard, chair of the Georgia Legislative Black Caucus. Plus, Governor Kemp is showing Switzerland the Georgia way. We have an interview with him from the World Economic Forum in Davos. We invite you to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Welcome to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia, where we set the stakes and the agenda for Georgia politics every weekday morning. I'm Bill Nygut, along with Tia Mitchell. Um, Tia, we're going to get into the news in just a moment, but you have news in terms of trying to get back to Washington. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're coming to us from, I imagine, a hotel room in Detroit. What the heck happened? <laughs> yeah, so the the cold and the storms have moved, you know, across the nation. So I had problems getting to Iowa on the front end of my trip, and now I have problems getting back to D.C. on the back end of my trip. So um, got stuck in Detroit last night, hoping to get home later today. Uh, well, we wish you well on your journey. I, I know what it's like over the years. Travel has interrupted uh, my coverage of Iowa and New Hampshire as well. So I know they're longing to have you back on the Hill where there's a lot of news, some of which we'll talk about uh, later in the show. Um, So, Tia, let's start and bring in in a moment education reporter, AJC education reporter Martha Dalton. But let's start with a look at some of the new information that's been released in our Brand new AJC poll. Um, Today, there are stories about um, the issues that uh, Georgia voters care about. And Tia, the first one I think we want to talk about, especially with Martha joining us, is school vouchers. Um, We know that the Republicans in the legislature are more serious, and Governor Kemp agrees, about the notion of creating a school voucher uh, program. Um, But according to our polling, most Georgians oppose that measure. There's 20 percent who strongly approve, 15 percent who somewhat approve. So you're at 35 percent, but 60 percent either somewhat or strongly disapprove to you. So this is not a popular measure, apparently, with voters. Yeah, I think it's so interesting Um Again, one of the kind of interesting 
kind of old school conservative um, blue dog Democrat kind of thought about vouchers and school choice. Um, Georgia is one of the remaining states where Republicans haven't yet shifted the narrative um, about school choice, um, which I think is just really interesting. Usually with school choice, it's a combination of conservative Republicans and evangelical Democrats have in other states. And Martha, I look forward to seeing if you agree with that, um, kind of have built this coalition in favor of school choice. It allows the narrative is that you help your kids not go to failing schools. So inner city um, pastors are often uh, brought into the conversation. Um, and then it, it kind of the undertones is it allows public funding to go to uh, Christian schools and other types of private schools. But again, in the South, it's, it's, it's more common. I just find it so interesting that in Georgia, not just that it's not happening yet, but that, again, public opinion has not shifted. This is something that in a lot of conservative states, conservatives help shift public opinion by talking about the benefits of school choice and, quite frankly, doing so by um, criticizing the quality of public schools. Well, Martha Dalton, let's bring you right in on this. Um, and, and let's talk about this. First of all, you were with the Secretary of Education yesterday, and he yeah. spoke out about school vouchers. Um, why don't you start us off uh, f- first, though, by talking a little bit about where you think this voucher measure really stands. Last year, it was a very late-in-the-session effort. Governor Kemp didn't get on board until the last minute. 16 Republicans opposed vouchers, but now it's back stronger than than it was last year, it appears at least. Yes? Right. I think you're right about that, Bill. And a lot of changes were made to the bill uh, last year um, to try to get it to move a little bit. Um, And this bill that we're talking about would essentially create a third sort of voucher program in Georgia. Um, And to set the table a little bit, um, you know, what a voucher does is uses public money or money meant sort of earmarked for public education or public, excuse me, public spending. Um, And it allows uh, parents, families to use some of that money to uh, pay for private school tuition. Um, So Georgia currently has two different what are called voucher systems. Um, Supporters of vouchers don't really like that term. It's become kind of um, kind of negative, I think, in the political space. Um, But uh, but you're exactly right. I think, you know, that third bill or that bill. Uh, that would create a third program, essentially setting up educational savings accounts with using public money that that parents could use for different kinds of expenses, including private school tuition. I do think it has more momentum uh, this year. Uh, the governor came out during his state of the state last week and urged lawmakers to throw their support behind it. So um, to Tia's point, um, it is an interesting political needle to thread. I think, uh, you know, 
Democrats like the secretary, uh, Cardona, said yesterday that he's a school choice advocate. He said that he went, himself went to a technical school. He didn't go to his neighborhood school. Mm. So he frames himself as a as a school choice advocate, which I think, you know, used to be pretty popular in Democratic politics. It's it's moving that way in in Republican politics. So there is sort of a Venn diagram where there's some overlap. Um, so it's it's a tough you can't really assume that because someone's conservative they will or won't support school choice or if someone's liberal the same thing um let me play you what uh the secretary had to say yesterday about school vouchers though because even though he's a school choice advocate um he is not a fan of vouchers so here's what he said let me be very clear voucher programs will destroy public education if you look at communities that struggle to have students read by third grade, they're underfunded systems already. So now you take an underfunded district, you take a percentage of the dollars that go to those schools and you pay for a voucher for a tuition for a private school for a student, what happens to that local neighborhood school that has less resources? So you're basically creating a system of have and have nots. Martha, uh, let's be clear about it if we can, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong. When Cardona says he favors school choice, my understanding is he's talking about things like charter schools, or as you point out, technical schools, which are still basically within the public schools system, as opposed to this this uh, bill that uh, is back in the legislature this session, which would earmark money for actual private schools. And I think I'm right. The bill that's at, under consideration right now would uh, give a family $6,500 that um, they would be able to move to a private school. Now, I, I think – and so the money follows the student, right? Right now the state puts something like $6,500 for each pupil in a public school – now that money would move with the student to the private school. Have I got that right? That's right. And uh, there's been, you know, some criticism both for and against um, the amount of money. Um, you know, people will say uh, on one hand, well, $6,500 won't won't do that much in terms of being able to help you pay for tuition at a lot of schools. Um, but then there's sort of the other side of it uh, where supporters will say, well, if it, if it's not that much money, then why not let them have it? So can you talk about I, one of the things I think that I get tripped up about, and it kind of goes back to what you were saying about secretary Cardona He's saying he supports school choice, but not vouchers. Can you talk about the landscape in Georgia of what school choice is and isn't? And are there dis differences between the school choice in an urban area like Atlanta versus the more rural parts of Georgia? Yes, I think that's such an important point and has come up, as you know, in the legislature over the years as these bills have um, been proposed. Um, you know, in a place like Metro Atlanta, there are more choices. You may have more choices um, on in terms of place, private schools where you could send your child. In a rural area, you won't have as many. So as a result, a lot of rural politicians um, don't support vouchers because it ends it would end up possibly taking money away from the public system at large. 
um, whereas people in their district don't really get any benefit from it. Um, and Cardona talked about that a little bit yesterday about the impact of um, his perception of the impact uh, that vouchers will have on uh, on public schools. And here's what he said about that. I predict that in places that do this, the students that require more resources to support will not be as welcome in some of these schools. And the impact will affect those schools whose dollars were taken to pay for those vouchers. And so he's saying that there in that clip that essentially public schools will suffer, but the children who um, are using vouchers to go to private schools may not necessarily be welcome in private schools if they have if they need accommodations or if they have a learning disability or if they're, you know, um, not, quote unquote, typical students. Um, Tia, we should point out that although our polling shows that a majority of the registered voters, not likely voters, but registered voters who were surveyed uh, by the University of Georgia for the AJC, um, uh, say they oppose vouchers, it's much more popular among Republican uh, voters, which really isn't uh, terribly surprising, Tia, I think. Right. So, again, Republicans are more likely to support it, but uh, the fact that it's the numbers to me in others, I would I would be I'm surprised that it's not more Republicans, I guess, um, who are supportive of school vouchers in Georgia. Yes, it's more likely, again, because Democrats talk about supporting public schools, supporting teachers unions, supporting kind of the more traditional education setup. So there's always been kind of a partisan divide, but I'm just I'm just surprised it's 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 not more overwhelming. So, um, Martha, we're going to talk about school vouchers throughout this legislative session and certainly are going to want to include you in a conversation as the legislation legislation um, advances. But one last quick question about that. And then I want to ask you about other things that Cardona told you all in the meeting he had with the AJC yesterday. Um, you you already made the point. Sixty five hundred dollars is not going to get a student into some of the finest private schools, um, especially in Metro Atlanta, but across Georgia for that matter. I mean, schools like Pace, Westminster, um, the schools that we're talking now about tens of thousands of dollars for admission. So what schools do um, legislators imagine would be accessible um, with $6,500 of public funding? So there are a lot of smaller, um, usually parochial or um, religiously affiliated schools where that could make a difference. Now, it may not cover full tuition. Um, I can't think of any school offhand where that would cover full tuition, but it, it would certainly make a significant difference for some of the smaller private schools. Okay. And some, yeah. What else did Cardona talk to you about yesterday? Well, he actually uh, was very, uh, very talkative. Uh, he spoke about, uh, in addition to his opposition of vouchers, uh, the delayed FAFSA form uh, that that's the federal financial aid form that the that his department was in charge of overseeing and why uh, why it was delayed. Um, he doesn't feel like it will be a huge stumbling block for students who are applying for financial aid. Um, he also spoke about um, what he termed the literacy crisis in the country. He agrees with that terminology. 
Um, he also said he supports Georgia's legislation on the science of reading, which is um, some two bills that went through the legislature last year that um, require schools to teach reading using evidence-based methods. So he said he supports that legislation. Um, he also uh, talked about a little bit about um, HBCUs and what he felt like his administration has done to uh, provide a little bit more funding for HBCUs. And um, we actually have a full video up of what he talked about at AJC.com. So he covered a, a wide range of topics yesterday uh, when he sat down for an editorial meeting with the AJC. So uh, let's be clear, FAFSA, what you're talking about there is the new form for applying for loans for higher education. And it's supposed to, the Biden administration was touting its simplification of the form. But Martha, I'm hearing an anecdotal uh, uh, response that there are people who have not are not finding the form really much easier to use at all. <laughs> right. And I think it's been a, the delay that combined with the delay has been frustrating for parents and for for families and for schools. And um, it, the point that Cardona made yesterday was that it was more than 40 years old. So they had to sort of do something. Um, so even, I guess, slight improvements may make some difference, but it probably to a to a person applying, it may look like this still seems, you know, this still seems decades old. Ah, you know, Tia, that reminds me of the uh, uh, what happened when ACA rolled out Obamacare, uh, how impossible people found uh, the uh, exchanges to deal with on the Internet. Yeah. And I mean, the FAFSA, it's like doing your taxes all over again. So <laughs> it's just it's not really an easy thing, but it's essential for students who want any type of financial aid. So hopefully they continue to streamline that process. All right. um, Martha, I'm really it's always a pleasure to have you on uh, Politically Georgia. Um, Tia and I are going to move on and talk about a few other aspects of the AJC poll. Uh but we'll relieve you from having to worry about issues that aren't right now on your beat. So thank you so much, as always. We'll have you back as the session continues to talk about vouchers and other educational issues. Thank you, Martha Dalton. Thanks, Martha. Tia, let's continue before we take a break. Um, We also polled people on their attitudes about full expansion of Medicaid. And um, we know that for the first time, uh, uh, Republican leaders in the state legislature are actually looking at the possibility of uh, expanding Medicaid fully. Um, Some 69% of our respondents said, yes, uh, Georgia should expand eligibility for Medicaid to cover all of the state's uninsured poor. 22% said no. That's pretty big incentive for legislators to do something. Right, because they want public opinion on their side. The fact that almost half of Republicans at this point are willing to support Medicaid expansion, that allows conservative lawmakers to have a little bit um you know, more assurance that if they vote to move forward, their base won't turn on them. I've said all along, I think Medicaid expansion is inevitable. It's just about when. The other thing that I think works in Georgia's favor as, a, as when it comes to public opinion 
is that people are watching other states expand Medicaid. And they're hearing about their family and friends with new public options. They're seeing that the doom and gloom of states falling into bankruptcy hasn't happened. And even conservative states, you know, we talked about Arkansas, Kentucky expanded Medicaid. Um, And so I think that all is helping to shift public opinion because some of the kind of boogeyman uh, predictions aren't coming true. It's interesting that Kentucky with a Republican legislature, but a Democratic governor did expand Medicaid. But, you know, Tia, we've talked before about the fact that legislators here are looking at the so-called Arkansas model, but I don't think we've ever explained quite what that means. What they did in Arkansas was they fully expanded Medicaid. So the state uses primarily federal dollars to cover the costs of health care for people who are in the poorest income brackets, but they buy their coverage on the Obama exchanges. So it's a kind of a hybrid that um, continues to honor the exchanges, uh, but, but, but takes federal dollars to cover people who are buying their insurance that way. Right. And I think kind of also this, I want to just mention that the exchanges themselves are doing very well, even in states Mm -hmm. that didn't expand Medicaid. The Biden administration, of course, being a Democratic Mm -hmm. administration, has put new resources into making sure people understand about their options. So a lot of middle class folks who maybe find that they're through their job, they can't afford it or they're working the types of jobs that don't have health care coverage, those are the folks who are using the exchanges. And so what Medicaid expansion would do is Medicaid is for those who are very poor, who um, either don't have jobs or make very little money and don't have coverage options. And this would make sure um, make sure that they have federal resources to cover them. So again, it for them, because Medicaid expansion would mostly cover the cost of health care, how they get it is less important than having the option to get coverage. Also, we can't ignore that hospitals, hospitals have been begging for this, especially hospitals in rural areas and quite frankly, hospitals in uh, dense urban areas that are the safety nets, they say people are showing up without insurance anyways, and we have to take care of them. Why not get the federal funding to get them covered so that the federal government would pay us for providing care we're already providing? So, uh, Tia, you're just back from Iowa where you watched Donald Trump have a huge victory, not unexpected. Um, it's interesting and ironic that it's, even as Republicans in the state legislature here are talking about the possibility of expanding Medicaid under a plan that would use the Obamacare exchanges to do it, Donald Trump has basically uh, gotten a lot of Republicans very concerned by, at one point, uh, and I haven't heard him repeat it too often, but he did say a couple times now he's going to get rid of Obamacare once and for all. Uh, at a time when Republicans have finally come around to understanding that their constituents like it and they'd rather the issue go away completely. 
Yeah. And we don't hear as much talk about that right now. Quite frankly, um, Trump had four years to get rid of Obamacare and, and, and he didn't really try that hard, uh, let alone get anywhere close to actually doing it. Um, again, with so many states now expanding Medicaid with people um, growing reliant on some of the other uh provisions of Obamacare. Like, yes, Medicaid expansion has been some of the most controversial, but the fact that young adults can stay on their parents' insurance longer, um, some of the other kind of uh, coverages, the exchanges, again, record participation in those exchanges. Um, You can't just easily do away with those. And what Republicans have struggled with was they said they were going to repeal and replace So repeal was pretty, you know, that was popular among Republicans. They couldn't come up with the replacement. And that's why Trump is not really easy to to do so. Donald Trump has still not gotten out of his mind the image of former Senator John McCain, who's now passed away, putting his thumb down the crucial vote in uh, in the effort to overturn Obamacare. All right, we got to get to a break. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk to uh, State Representative Carl Gilliard, who is the head of the Legislative Black Caucus. And um, we're going to hear what he's thinking about in terms of the issues that Democrats are concerned about in this legislative session. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Welcome back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Bill Nygut. Twice daily, delivered straight to your email, you can receive the AJC's Politically Georgia newsletter. Stay on top of all the important news, scoops, and exclusives from the AJC politics team. Just go to AJC.com newsletters and sign up today. That's AJC.com newsletters. If you're listening to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia on the podcast, as opposed to the fact that right now we're on the air live on WABE, uh, I have neglected to mention that here in Metro Atlanta, at least, some of you are listening to the podcast from other parts, southern parts of the state. When I came in this morning, it was 14 degrees. Yes, it was 14 (laughs) degrees. Uh, Tia, I'll bet it's really cold in Detroit right now, too. Yeah, it is. Um, and it's going to be cold in D.C. I'm very tired of the cold. And um, <laughs> I know we're early in winter, so I'm just trying to mentally prepare, but I'm very much over it. Well, uh, we're going to talk now to somebody else who's probably a, a little tired of the cold. It's not quite as bad down in his part of the state. Um, we're joined by Representative Carl Gilliard who uh, is a Savannah state representative, a Democrat, head of the Legislative Black Caucus. I I just checked, Representative Gilliard, first of all, welcome to the show. Uh, It's like 34 degrees in Savannah, which 
is balmy for us right now. Not so much for your constituents down your way. <laughs> uh, it's always uh, cooler in, in Savannah, uh, but, but nicer in Atlanta. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Um, Tia, I know, has a lot of questions for you. I, I'd like to ask you a starting point, if I may. What did you think when you saw the AJC polling which showed that um, the uh, that that Medicaid expansion, full expansion of Medicaid, is supported by more than two thirds of the people who responded to our poll. What does that tell you? Well, I think it's long overdue uh, because we have not expanded Medicaid expansion in Georgia. Rural hospitals have been closing. Uh, people um, have not had access to uh, quality uh, health care or no health care. Um, the, 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 the obvious thing that we must do is do the right thing. And um, if I could put a Nike sign on every uh, a person in the General Assembly, let's just do it. I mean, we've been procrastinating about receiving money um, that's whether it's old Obama money or, or, or mentalities or ideologies. People need to have access to health care. What are you hearing as you talk to your Republican colleagues down at the Capitol about how real the potential for this to actually pass this session is? Well, one of our, as a chairman of Georgia Legislative Black Caucus, we represent over 3 million constituents. And uh, and one of the things that we've been talking to uh, our Republican uh, colleagues is that it makes sense. It makes sense. Um, you know, people right now, they don't want to hear about just generic issues. They want issues that are, that are going to affect them and their households. And uh, Republicans know that, that uh, all people have been affected by this, especially those in the rural areas. Tia? Representative Gilliard, thank you so much for joining us. I want to go, you're serving as chairman currently of the Georgia Legislative Black Caucus. I want you to talk to us a little bit. We always hear about the Black Caucus. We know um, people have heard of you, but what is your guys' agenda for this year? And how does the Black Caucus at times are there places where the Black Caucus doesn't always align with the Democratic Caucus, which is most of, I think all of the Black Caucus members are Democrats? Yes. Well, let me let me say this. You're absolutely right. Now, we, we have over 74 members in the House and the Senate. But, you know, our bylaws constitute that uh, we have Democrats and Republicans. And this year we do have one African-American Republican. Uh, so uh, holds our bylaws to be true. But yes, there are times, and I'll, I'll tell you on the on the my administration when I came in, I felt if you have a title, it shouldn't be idle. And I and my theme was my focus was that it's a call to action. Um, people are tired of being tired. They're Fannie Lou Heyman bound. Um, so the first thing we did in the in the Black Caucus, we took a tour of Black farms. Uh, we we dealt with the Black farmers, but not only that, we put out legislation. We went and took a tour of the HBCUs, but not only that, we met with Chancellor Purdue, and we're putting. We're bringing legislation because the formula, in the words of um, Ms. Henson from Color Purple, the formula is not, the, the numbers are not adding up. And so HBCUs are unfortunately not funded, right, because of the formula. And that's going to take legislation. So you'll see us introduce that this, this session. Uh, we took the tour around the state, a uh, For the People tour, because nobody in the Democratic, and I'm just going to say, the Democratic Party of Georgia has got to get off our past areas, stop sending emails, and go to the people and meet the people where they're at. This 2024 election is 
um, is it, it's just pertinent right now that people are lost and saying, where are we? We toured uh, HBCU colleges and, and black students said, I don't see my elected officials. Where are they at? And so what the Black Caucus has been trying to do is to be relevant and meet people where they're at. We're going to introduce legislation that deals with issues that affect people in this session. To what extent, Representative Gilliard, do you think that uh, some of what you just talked about can be embraced by the majority of the state legislature, considering that we've still got a Republican-controlled legislature. And I think I'm also hearing you say that you can't. You also have problems getting some of your white Democratic colleagues on board some of what you'd like to do. Well, let me give you an example. Um, a couple of years ago, I filed legislation to repeal Georgia's outdated, antiquated citizen arrest law. Ahmaud Arbery had just been killed, Breonna Taylor, um, um, George Floyd. And people said, while you're following this bill, House Bill 45, you will never repeal this uh, law. Fast forward, we did get a chance to have common ground with Republicans. We had House Bill 479, and we repealed Georgia's outdated, antiquated law. The thing is right now is that we've got to be bold and tenacious enough in 2024 to file the legislation. And it's a method of strategy of how we get those hearings and how we get those bills. The Georgia Legislative Black Caucus is leading in a different way that we are united and we're united with the Democratic Caucus in the House. But our methodology is that we are not going to wait for a hearing. We're going to do hearings all over the Capitol to bring the people to the Capitol. Um, I'll I'll announce on this show for the first time we have a reparations bill that's going to be filed that actually dropped uh, on Friday. And you'll be hearing about that. Um, uh, Dave Raglan and the Truth Telling Project and others from up in California um, is more. They're going to be working with us because it is time for Georgia to meet people where they're at. That's very big news. Tia, though, let me give you a chance to jump in. I had another question, but I wanted to, this reparations bill, can you give us kind of an overview of what that would look like? You know, um, in California and in other um, areas, uh, they're, they're, they're reaching common ground because they've done a study on how we get there. I mean, everybody can say we need reparations. In my city of Savannah, we're just a few miles away from Port Wentworth, where the, the theme 40 acres in a meal came from in that respect. But how do we get there? So this is a bill um, urging a study committee on uh, when when we talk about reparations, what does it look like? How do we qualify everyone? And, and so we start there and then we have a resolution because we want to see who's who's on board. I um, mean, um, we stand for everything else. We stand for, um, you know, um, unity on um, on everything dealing with uh, wars and all the above. Who's going to stand with us to say that it is right to look at reparations? And then my other question, um, a little bit of a pivot, but let's talk about redistricting. So I know you want to talk about that. The judge ordered, uh, well, upheld the new maps that Republicans had drawn. I know Democrats like you didn't get much input on the maps. Um, What are your thoughts about how uh, both the congressional and legislative maps, how they shaped up at the end? I was was a lot disappointed because uh, the hopes were that we were going to get two additional states, uh, Senate seats, one congressional uh, and these are additional five additional state uh, state house seats. And and a lot of it has been uh, kind of gone to the to the right of Republicans were successful and 
and uh, maneuvering districts that favored them. But on our side, um, we our, our districts have been redrawn, like Lucy McBeth has been drawn back into her old district. So that we didn't gain another House uh, a congressional seat. The same thing with uh, two of the state House seats. We really didn't gain two additional. We had a maneuvering of the maps. So um, uh, the, my disappointment was that. But one thing we have to do now is we've got to educate our constituents because some people don't know. They said, you all just came out of what, what we call redistricting. I, I, I'm a layman. I'm a laywoman. I don't understand that. What happened? And we have to explain the process that we went back in and that they have new representation or their districts have changed. Because if not, when they get to the polls and we, and we, we don't get a chance to do that, there are going to be a lot of confused people. Once again, we got to meet people where they're at. Representative Gilliard, I, I apologize for kind of seesawing back and forth, um, but I do want to go back to this reparations measure you're talking about and just get a clear understanding of what is be, going to be presented to the legislature. Is this a bill? Is it a resolution? What are you're going to ask the legislature to vote on impaneling a committee or a commission of some sort to study how Georgia could go about uh, uh, putting together a reparations plan? What what are the specifics of what you're asking for? Is it a bill to establish this? Is it a resolution which doesn't have the same force, a course of law? Uh, State Representative Roger Bruce is the uh, lead. Uh, author of the bill um, to um, establish a, a committee, a study committee or a committee on how do we get there? What does it look like? Let's look at all the particulars. And then there's a urge resolution and urge resolutions are important. I did one on offshore drilling years ago and the effects of it was that it had such powerful ramifications that in Washington, D.C., Georgia was taken off of the roster dealing with offshore drilling. So we, we're adamant um, and we're going to educate the people to help us lobby for it. Uh, we just won't have African-Americans. We'll have uh, Americans. We'll have white, black, uh, Vietnamese, Hispanic. I think it's important that um, this is really a movement. And I will tell you uh, passionately on, on my part, I would have never gotten to this position if it was just going to be business as usual. Um, people are fed up and tired that we're not being heard. And so we heard people talking about reparations and reparations. That's well, how we get there, you I, know. So, so it's a good bill, and, and it'll be a great resolution. I, I apologize, Tia. You, you know, we're getting a little breakup in Representative Gilliard's um, signal, but we'll try to talk for at least one or two more questions. So, Tia, your turn. All right, Representative Gilliard. Let's talk. I, I we were looking at some of the legislation that you had sponsored um, in previous years, and you had the Tenant Protection Act last session, and that's something that's near and dear to our hearts at the AJC because we've done huge investigations on tenants' rights, um, dangerous dwellings, um, just the housing industry. Can you talk about, I want number one, talk about what you're trying to get done, but why is that one of the issues that you're passionate about? I know down in Savannah, housing is huge, a huge issue. You know, um, it, the average person is paying rent for 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 a three bedroom, almost two thousand plus dollars. Um, college students are trying to live off campus and can't afford it, even if they have three people. And then uh, people just can't afford to live uh, a, a common life; they can't afford it. 
And so what's happening is that down here in Savannah, for instance, uh, because we have Hyundai coming and other things, people are getting forced out of their of their leases because other people will pay double that. And so there has to be a gentleman's clause in law. There has to be something written that gives them at least 90 days or, you know, uh, to 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 vacate if, if they're going to terminate the lease or some other laws on on how we can protect the tenant. A lot of people who have suffered have been senior citizens that have just been put out of their homes. Uh, that um, And so you're going to see lots of legislation, not only from myself, but uh, Senator Donzella James is the chairwoman of Urban Affairs in the Senate, and she's been doing a great job holding housing uh, hearings. You're going to see GLBC partner with uh, our senator, and we're going to do several pieces of le- legislation. I think our top forte this, this, this uh, session will be housing. Well, Representative Carl Gilliard, um, we're at a point where we've got to get another break in, but we're really grateful that you were uh, able to join us uh, today. And we certainly hope you'll come back as the uh, legislative session progresses to talk about some of the issues you've already showcased for us. Uh, Stay warm up here, uh, Representative Gilliard, um, and come back soon, okay? And thank you, Natalie, Tia, and Bill. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Absolutely. All right, let's do this. Let's get to our final break of the show. When we come back, Governor Kemp is at Davos in Switzerland, and uh, he talked yesterday with Greg Bluestein. We'll have a little of that interview when we return. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song. The celebration. The Atlanta Journal Constitution presents hip hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip hop. 50 years. No one can deny one film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip hop. Welcome back to Politically Georgia. I'm Bill Nygut. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for Politically Georgia podcast listeners. If you subscribe today, you can get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's all of our sports coverage, politics, breaking news, investigations, food and dining, and so much more on AJC.com. Plus, you'll have access to our e-paper and our assortment of newsletters. So join our community by going to AJC.com slash start. That's AJC.com slash start. Tia Mitchell still stuck in Detroit, Michigan, just trying to get home to Washington as soon as she can. Tia, in about five minutes or so, we're going to talk about some of the big issues awaiting you up there. But before we do that, let's turn to a conversation, Tia, that uh, Greg Bluestein had yesterday with uh, – Governor Kemp. Tia, um, to set it up, this is the second year that Governor Kemp has gone to the World Economic Forum in Davos. Um, Last year, he went uh, and was part of of a panel of governors who talked at the summit about some of the issues that states uh, are dealing with. This year, he is the only governor, as far as we know, attending uh, Davos. And Tia, he sees it as an opportunity to showcase before all of these leaders from the private and public sector all that Georgia has to offer. Fair? 
Yeah, I think it's interesting that he's rubbing elbows with all these, you know, super, um, super kind of elite business. It's not considered a place where conservatives go, but Governor Kemp thinks it's important for Georgia to be there. But I think we also can't ignore that this is where the money is. And if you perhaps were thinking about elevating your political profile, Davos is the place to be. And uh, here's what Governor Kemp had to say to Greg about how important he thinks it is to be at Davos. And when those foreign leaders and foreign and, and CEOs of, of companies that are outside the U.S. ask you about the green energy incentives um, that, that, that passed under the IRA, uh, what do you tell them? Because they've they've a on the one hand, you know, they've they've benefited, uh, they've, they've helped bring along some projects in Georgia that that are very lucrative. But on the other hand, you've criticized them as as kind of bringing to a, a, an unbalance to the market. Well, look, a lot of them that announced in Georgia did so before IRA ever passed. So, I mean, my point all along has been they didn't need to do uh, what they did because the market was already coming because of the situation. And this is something I've learned being over here is the, you know, the, the energy issues in Europe, the regulatory environment in Europe, the tax issues in Europe. Uh, people are looking to the U.S. They were looking to the U.S. before. IRA, but being uh, and 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 other things that have been passed, but being that those things have passed now, people got to decide if they're going to come to the states. What state are they going to go to? And we're trying to make the argument that we're the best state to go to uh, because of our conservative principles and letting the market work, and you know, not trying to pit you know one company versus another in a piece of legislation like RA did. You know, supporting union-backed companies like. Ford and Chevy and, and really hurting Georgia-based companies uh, like Hyundai, Rivian, and Kia. So I've asked you this before, Governor, but what do you say to the Republicans who question why you're spending time at a conference uh, that many in the, the grassroots base have spent a lot of time criticizing as, as a place for the global elite? Well, it, it is a place. I mean, look, there's a lot of global elitists here. There's no doubt. But I'm also, you know, taking our message of why our ideas are why we think they're better and, you know, selling those to the business leaders here. I I don't think I'm going to be changing the global elites minds on, you know, things that they may want to do. But a lot of the business people here from really all over the world, I mean, U.S. companies, companies from, you know, places, emerging markets like India to, you know, some of our best partners like the South Korean, Japanese companies and, and others, you know, they're concerned that they want to know about what we have to offer in Georgia. And they're not concerned with, you know, maybe what all of the global elite is concerned with. But, you know, there's a lot of people here that are concerned about environment. I, I'm one of them. I mean, I want to be a steward of the environment, but also want to make sure we're providing good paying jobs to our, our citizens and and, you know, making sure their families have opportunities just like I've had in the state. Greg Bluestein talking to Governor Kemp at, at Davos. So, Tia, let's unpack just a little of the first part of what Kemp uh, talked about, because it's, in fact, a very political answer. Um, he's talking about the IRA, by which he means the Inflation Reduction Act passed by the administration with help from Republicans. And among the other things that the Inflation Reduction Act did was to give a tax credit to people who buy electric vehicles. Um, The problem is it gives that incentive, that tax break, 
to people who buy electric vehicles manufactured in the United States. So Hyundai right now doesn't qualify because all their uh, uh, automobiles are manufactured overseas. But he also talks about the fact that the IRA didn't have that much of an impact here in Georgia because we were already, thanks to his business prowess, his team's prowess, uh, attracting businesses like Rivian and uh, Hyundai. And where that becomes political, of course, is that Senator John Ossoff would argue, you know, the Biden administration really did have a role in helping attract companies uh, to Georgia. And we know that it's possible that could be a possible matchup, Ossoff against Kemp in 26. And let me tell you, I personally hate well, not hate too strong of a word. I roll my eyes at both of them, both Senator Ossoff <laughs> and Governor Kemp, when they try to score political points off of this. I mean, I get it. It's politics still. But at the end of the day, both can be true. Like, yes, Governor Kemp and the state have worked really hard to lure businesses to Georgia and create incentives. But guess what? The federal government also has as well. And if you ask these business leaders, the Rivians, um, the SK battery people, they don't say they don't say we only benefited from the state or we only benefited from the federal government. They would like everybody to show up and to thank them all for all the incentives that they are receiving. So sometimes this Kemp Ossoff kind of competition really does. It makes me roll my eyes because at the end of the day, both of y'all are taking credit for quite frankly, things that were done. Yes. You guys as figureheads were involved, but there's a lot of staff work and a lot of like economic development that goes into this. That is not political at all. It's about the, the business side. Kemp also got in a shot about union uh, shops saying, talking about General Motors and Ford and the like, They're, they happen to be union shops. And he's much more, uh, of course, as a Republican, uh, much more in favor of the right to work shops here in Georgia. Um, so it was an interesting political answer to Greg's question. Uh, Tia, we've only got a couple minutes, but uh, President Biden has a very important meeting today with Speaker Mike Johnson, uh, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Um, what are they going to talk about and why is it so important? Well, so as you know, the well, as you may or may not know, our, our listeners may or may not know, months ago, President Biden submitted a, a, a proposal that would provide funding for Ukraine, provide funding for Israel, but also provide a little bit of money to deal with the influx of immigrants at the southern border. And it's gone nowhere, as particularly as Republicans in the House push for stricter immigration policy, immigration overhaul. And um, as a result, you know, President Zelensky has said Ukraine's almost out of money. Of course, a lot of uh, folks would like to see the U.S. help Israel. That's not happening. And so... And there, there have been conversations, particularly among a trio of senators trying to come up with a new border security uh, legislation. So but nothing has happened. President Biden is sitting down with congressional leaders today to um, what we think is to kind of urge them to say, come on, guys, we got to make this happen. We got to get it done. 
there, there's a lot of feeling that Minority Leader McConnell would be much more uh, willing to work with the White House, I think, on these measures than uh, the Speaker who has to deal with that far right wing in the House that doesn't want to do anything unless they pass the strongest uh, border security measures possible, and that's not going to fly. So, Tia, we may be at complete loggerheads again, right? Yeah. I mean, the question is, can they figure it out um, with Ukraine particularly saying that they are up against, you know, hard conditions and need the money yesterday? All right, Tia Mitchell, um, thank you so much for a terrific conversation uh, today. Um, I'm uh, really hoping you get home. I know you have a flight later today to get back to Washington, and we're looking forward to seeing you again on the show when you are finally back in your home. Uh, That's all the time we have for today's uh, show. Uh, But before we leave you, I want to remind you that if you have a question that you would like Tia Mitchell, Patricia Murphy, Greg Bluestein, or me to answer uh, for you, you can call the Politically Georgia hotline at any time. You just call 404-526-2527, and you leave your question. Shaney B. and his team of interns will sort through those phone messages And on Fridays, we will uh, answer some of the questions that you have asked us. Again, 404-526-2527. That's all the time we have for today's podcast. You can hear Politically Georgia live weekday mornings at 10 on 90.1 WAVE in Atlanta. Or follow Politically Georgia on your favorite podcast app and hear new episodes every afternoon. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend that you like Politically Georgia. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.